I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Ryan Serhant. Now, you might know him as the star of Bravo television series, Million Dollar Listing New York, and its spinoff, Sell It Like Serhant. He is a business beast. He is a top American real estate broker, a best-selling author, and a television personality. He also runs a very successful New York real estate firm. There is good reasons his books, his show, and businesses take off like they do. He knows sales. And I'm not just talking sales for real estate, all businesses, and even your own personal brand. Today, we hop on for a chat to share some of his biggest tips and, of course, his story. I hope you enjoy it. So, Ryan, it is great to connect with you. I came across you actually on YouTube originally. Really? Yeah. I'm not That's a... That's awesome. I'm not a big reality show person, so I'd never seen your show, but I had stumbled on one of your blogs and I fell in love with your personality and how impactful you were. And yeah, you'd sent me down a rabbit hole of videos. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So tell everybody who you are and what you do. My name is Ryan Sernet. I'm a real estate broker in New York City. I lead a large sales team here. We sell new development condominiums, towers, fire buildings, condos, co-ops, everything in between, kind of all over the country, but mostly in New York. I do a reality TV show called Million Dollars in New York. That's on Bravo. It's spin-off, Sell It Like Certain Hands. I've got a book called Sell It Like Certain Hands, a real estate course, the top-selling real estate course of last year, where we teach people how to sell anything, including real estate. And I've got a vlog on YouTube and a bunch of other stuff. I was so you're, a baby, you're, she just turned one, as of a personal life. So you're busy. <laughs> yeah, you know, trying to stay busy. Life is short. Mm. How old are you? You're 37? 35. 35. Okay, I was 85. 1985. 85. Oh, I was 1984. Yeah, ah, okay. 1984. Okay, so I have a year to catch up to you. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No. Good old 35. Got my work cut up to So take me back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a bunch of places. I was born in Texas and Houston. I bounced around a lot. We moved a lot around Texas, and then we moved to Long Island. So my dad got a job in New York City, bounced around Long Island, and then settled down outside Boston. So, like my elementary school and high school years were in a small town called Topsfield, on the North Shore of Boston. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I grew up. And then I went to college in upstate New York and majored in English and theater. I was basically a theater major, and I had to do something else. Otherwise, my parents would have disowned me. So I did theater and English literature, and I moved down to New York City in 2006 to try to be an actor. Okay, and so how did you end up in real estate? I ran out of money. (laughs) I totally, I came to New York City with a little bit of money saved up in 2006, and I basically told myself that if I don't try this acting thing, you know, now I'll regret 
regret it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. What I did want to do is just go off to grad school or just go get a regular job and then, you know, never having felt like I, you know, explored that kind of passion that I had for being on stage and, you know, being in front of the camera and everything. So I tried it and I ran out of money really, really quickly. And instead of moving home to Colorado where my parents were or getting a survival job, like the classic thing you do in New York City without a real job is you wait tables, you bartend, mm-hmm. you tap work. And instead of doing any of that, because I knew a lot of actors in the city who were older, much older than me, and they were still bartending as if it was still their survival job, but they've been doing it for 20 years, which really mm-hmm. to me looked like a job. You know, kind of look like you're like a career bartender, but they like, no, 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 I'm still trying to make the acting thing work. I got an audition tomorrow. I think I'm going to get an agent. So it just terrified me. So I didn't want to put myself in a position where I was ever going to get comfortable. So I spent two years very stressed out about money in New York City. Tried my best. Didn't work out. And instead of doing any of those survival jobs, I had a friend in the summer of 2008 who told me, listen, get your real estate license. It's the greatest thing in the world. Post ads on Craigslist, meet people in the corner, sell them apartments, and then do whatever you want with the rest of your day or the rest of your month. You can do your little acting stuff you want to do. So that's how I got into real estate. And then I started the day Lehman Brothers filed bankruptcy. Hmm. So those two years that were really tough, was there a time that you wanted to give up? Yeah, like every other day. <laughs> so what stopped you from doing that? What stopped you from moving back home? Oh, man. I guess I was, just, I was afraid that if I moved home, I'd never come back to New York. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I, and what was I going to do at home? Like my parents at that point moved to Colorado, to Steamboat Springs. So like I would have lived in the middle of nowhere on a ranch. And like I wouldn't have been homeless. My parents would have let me live home for at least a little while. I've had to have gotten a job, you know, and so I would have worked on the ranch or gone into construction, and, you know, and then you just get comfortable. And then I would have found someone and gotten married and like had kids and, just lived on a ranch because I quit New York. Like, I don't want to have a life that looks good on the outside, but on the inside, I know I'm living just because I, I quit something else. And that really freaked me out. So it forced me to stay in New York City and just make it work. And listen, renting apartments in New York City isn't the hardest thing in the world. Anybody can get a real estate license. It's what you do with that license that kind of makes or breaks you. Mm. But my goal was just to rent one or two apartments a month. I didn't even sell anything. I had no idea how to sell anything at the time. I just wanted to show some people some apartments. If they liked one, I'd make an offer and I would get paid one month's commission and then I'd have to split it 50-50 with the brokerage company that I worked for. So if they were looking to spend $2,000 a month, you know, and I got them to do a deal, I'd make a thousand bucks. So if I could do two or three of those in a month, then I was good. Like I wasn't even thinking about taxes. I was just like, I was good. I'll pay my rent. My rent was $1,100 a month at the time. You know, and I could eat basically for a couple hundred dollars a month. And then anything else I would like save or put to the side. You know, I'd have my internet bill, cable bills, electricity bills. And I just wanted to figure out how I could stay in New York City and make ends meet. And real estate gave me way to do that. So how did this take off? How did you go from, you know, being, being this new agent, new to this industry, to being this huge salesperson? I would say the one big difference for me that helped separate why I think it worked out for me and why it doesn't work out for other people is improv. I took a lot of improv classes when I was in high school and college, and it really helped me figure out how to talk to strangers and how to be okay with situations that are uncomfortable and how to find things that you have in common with people you don't know. That 
is sales. Like hmm. I don't ever really sell a home. You know, I, I connect a buyer to a seller and hopefully we come to a meeting of the minds. And then I have to be intelligent. I have to know about comparable sales. I have to know how to talk about the marketplace, but all that stuff is learned. Like I didn't know any of that stuff before and you can learn it all if you just read and, and do the work. But it's your ability to meet someone you don't know and get them to trust you and get them to like you. That is really hard to teach and that is tough to learn. And that, I think I really credit towards improv. So, you know, I tell everybody, if you're getting into sales, no matter what you're selling, you know, insurance or just services in general or real estate or cars or, you know, couches, like go take an improv class, be uncomfortable in a room with a lot of other people who are uncomfortable Hmm. because if you could pretend to be a dog on fire, giving birth to your grandmother (laughs) on Mars, like you could talk to someone about car insurance. (laughs) I need to get my team to take improv. Yeah, I make everybody do it. It literally is the best investment you can ever make because it opens you up and everybody makes more money afterwards because you just, you, or you're able to hold on to client relationships better because you learn the muscles for how to talk to people. And for doing deals, improv teaches you the power of saying yes. It's yes and, right? So we're always going to figure mm. it out. Every deal. You know what? Let's just figure it out. Like I go up against real estate agents all day long in New York City who won't even make offers because they're like, well, my guy wanted to start too low or your seller is too high. Like you're missing out on deals where you just start a dialogue, just like an improv, start a conversation, see what happens. What's it asking? A million? All right, here's $600,000. And we're, we're 40% off. How does that sound? It sounds terrible, but let me come back to you. Let me see what I can do. And maybe you slowly bridge the gap. Maybe you don't, but at least you know, right? At least you're trying. Mm-hmm. The dialogue, Sarah. So I've heard that you say like your whole life was saying yes to everything and then figuring it out. And that's very much how I've always done things as well with my businesses and things through the year. Has that ever gotten you in trouble? I mean, not so much in trouble. Like I say yes to smart things. I don't say yes to drugs. So (laughs) I say it hasn't got me in trouble so much as it's wasted my time. You know, I've said yes to a lot of opportunities, deals, listings, you know, working with certain people where I just shouldn't have. Like, I should have just, I knew in my gut, like, maybe this isn't the right thing for me. But I said yes anyway, because that's just in my nature to do as much as I possibly can. And then it was a massive waste of my time. And I always regret it because I'm like, yes, it's a learning experience. You know, yes, I learned to not do it again later. But yeah, like six months spent working on that thing. I knew we weren't going to be able to sell, but I didn't want to say no to it. Mm. And now, what could I have done with all that time? Hmm. So, faking it till you make it. Is that something that you would say that you've done over the years? Yes. I don't hmm. condone it because I, but listen, I never faked it till I, I made it. There's a big difference in doing that hmm. uh, and faking it compared to carrying yourself with the energy of someone who's successful, whether you're successful mm. or not. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's what I did. I actually have a thing, I call it big money energy. Oh, I like that. We have a newsletter about that right now. My second book is called Big Money Energy. Love uh, it. That's, so I was always trying to think about, like, what did I do differently in those first couple of years that maybe other people didn't do? And it wasn't like I ran around telling people I sold a lot of stuff that I never sold. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I bought a suit that was way too nice and had a car that I couldn't afford and hopefully it would just work out. No, I did things within reason, but I carried myself with the energy of someone who had success. And so that way you attract other success and you see it. Wealthy people hang out with wealthy people, right? Mm -hmm. 
poor people hang out with poor people. And it's because everybody, no matter how much money they have, they all have problems and misery loves company. So wealthy people want to commiserate with other wealthy people. They're Mercedes, you know, mm-hmm. breaking down. And no wealthy person who has a Mercedes is going to go talk to someone who, you know, makes $3,000 a month and say, dude, my Mercedes broke down, man. Feel bad for me. No, that person's <laughs> going to be like, you suck. I hate you. I wish I had a Mercedes to break down. And then the poor person, you know, they have other issues about how they, you know, miss the bus. Like that person's not going to be able to commiserate with somebody who's got a Mercedes. So you want to, depending on what group of people you want to be associated with, you got to remember that misery loves company and you've got to surround yourself with people that you want to be like, and you've got to be able to commiserate in their same problems and have that type of energy. You know? So when you say you carry yourself with big money energy, like what does that look like? Is that confidence? Is that a way you interact with people? Yeah, it's everything. I think it is five things actually. One is it's how you look, right? Hmm. It's your appearance. Mm-hmm. So it is taking care of yourself. Like I know it sounds superficial. And I know a lot of people these days don't care about appearances and who cares and it's all about what's inside and like that's all well and good. But until the whole world goes blind, first impressions are made in appearances. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, like I wear a suit and tie every day, not because I enjoy it. Like I'd love to have <laughs> my, my neck back, right? <laughs> but you know, I really want to dress in a way where I'm dressing for the other person. You know, if I want something from somebody, I'm going to dress for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, so it comes down to appearance, and at the same time, it's a little bit of a mix of not really caring. So it's you know personal. So if you have like really crooked teeth, right? Don't worry that you have crooked teeth because the person you're talking to doesn't even care that you have crooked teeth. They care that they think you are staring at the zit on their left cheek. Right? <laughs> like everybody has something. The second thing is it comes down to what you know, right? So it's what you know and kind of like the research that you've done, how you're able to talk about things, you know, what you know when you go into the room all the time. Like, and if all else fails, you can always rest on confidence, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the confidence in what you know. I think that's really, really important. There's also how you communicate, right? So it's how you talk to people. It's about being able to listen and connect to people, listening in order to respond to them and not just reply with what you already think you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Making sure you're sincere and honest and not just telling people what they want to hear, but telling people what you honestly think. And then there's mindset, right? Kind of being in a positive area. I think people with big money energy and people who have good, humble confidence have really positive mindsets and they know that even if it's raining outside, rain makes things grow. Not the end of the world. Everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, they have conviction. Like at your core, you know, someone with big money energy and someone who's very confident, even if they're not confident inside, they know they're the best. Right? They also know how to cut through the waves and cut through bullshit. And they just have conviction in what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. what was the last time you ever bought anything from anybody who was like, hey, do you want to try on shoes? I kind of, I kind of like shoes. <laughs> that person doesn't have conviction at all. Like, why would you ever? No, you want to be sold on confidence and sold on enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. That's what works. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how did you cultivate this confidence? Like, I've read that you were bullied as a kid. Yeah, I definitely didn't have confidence when I was a little kid. It really came to being in New York City with no money and. Huh having my back up against a wall. And it literally was like, I had to figure it out 
and pull myself together and be that confident real estate broker I knew I could be, or it meant go home to Colorado and die on a ranch. Like <laughs> that's really the way I looked at it. Like it was, I got to either be that person or don't and move home. Like there's mm-hmm. no in between. There's no complaining. Like there's no excuses. And so that's what I did. And it took time. You know, I remember I had a client I met on the internet. Her name was Hazel Kim. And she was from Asia and she wanted to buy an apartment in New York for her unborn fetus. She got pregnant and she wanted to buy a $2 million apartment for the future baby who was eventually going to go to NYU, apparently. Oh, so, wow. Classic New York City investment deal. And so, but I knew I was like, okay, she's coming here to New York City. She's flying in. She has two days. She's very real. She's got the money. I cannot mess this up. Like, I've got to sell her this apartment because this is like a deal that's being put right in front of me on a platter. But like, she's not going to buy something from a kid. She's not going to buy something from a kid who wears khaki pants and cowboy boots because those are my nice clothes. Like She's going to buy somebody something from a business person, somebody who takes himself seriously and someone who's there to impress her. So I like scraped together whatever money I had. I got myself a suit, the cheapest suit I could find at Macy's, but I like made sure it looked nice. I think it was classy. I got myself a white button-down shirt, a nice tie. I got myself a pair of shoes that didn't have holes in the bottom of them. And I rented this before Uber. The most expensive thing I did is I rented a car with a driver for oh two days. And I basically just went broke, showing this woman around, and it worked. She felt like, it to her, it felt like this is the way Ryan operates his business. This is how he takes care of all his clients every day. She didn't ask me, like, how long have you had the driver for? Like it just mm-hmm. it just seemed normal, so I didn't have to go into it. Right, so it wasn't faking it till you make it. It was no. If she asked me, I said I would rent this car for you. If she said, "How long have you had that suit?" I would have said, "I bought it yesterday for you because I want to impress you." And maybe that would have been a good conversation too. Maybe she would have found it endearing. But she never even asked me because I carried myself with the energy of someone who does this every day, mm-hmm. someone who sells two million dollar apartments every single day, and it works. She bought something for two point one. Wow. And that was kind of the deal that taught me, like, wow, what, what really changed? Was it the apartments didn't change, the market didn't change, the buyer didn't change. What changed was kind of those five things that I just, I just told you and mm-hmm. putting them into action and then slowly adapting from then on, right? And then also it's experience. The more you do, the more you sell, the more you know, the more you can talk about your own personal experience. Like that's the biggest difference between kind of me 10 years ago and now today. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> what led to the show? Bravo put a casting call out to the public saying they were looking for the best real estate agents under the age of 35. And they had an open casting call at the Hudson Hotel in Times Square. So I went with 3,000 rumors. Oh my yeah. gosh, 3,000. Yeah, it was actually probably a little more than that because it was over a couple of days. But like every real estate agent in the city under the age of 35 showed up. Um, oh my because everybody knew that it was just insane exposure. Right? Yes. And the more people who know what you sell around the world, the better. And at the time, I literally had no idea what the show was going to do, nor did I ever think I would get cast on it. But listen, talk about like the funny circle of life. Like I, I grew up wanting to be in front of cameras and on stage. I took improv classes. Yes. I came to New York City to be an actor, and then it didn't work out. Ran out of money, so I quit. And then I got into real estate, actually started to like it. Okay, so the casting group and the listing happened two years after I got into the business, or a year and a half. It was March 2010. I got into it. 
my first day was September 15, 2008, so like a year and a half. And, you know, I walked into that room with the confidence of a real estate agent who knew what he was doing, even though I didn't really, because I barely knew he was doing it. But I knew how to go in front of a camera. I knew how to be natural hmm. um, in an audition because I've been doing that forever. So it was like my two worlds colliding. And I auditioned well, and, and they cast it course of like 10 months or nine months and they told me I got the role in December of 2010 we shot the first season and came out two years later in March 2012. Did that change everything for you? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> it took a long long time you know it's reality TV it's, uh, it wasn't like an overnight success mm -hmm. no one really cared like I desperately waited by the phone when the show first started airing you know thinking that everybody was gonna call me call me call me but that didn't happen. Like, hmm. you know, one person on the subway was like, hey, are you that guy who's kind of a dick on that show? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, but that, that seems subjective. I do a real estate show on reality TV. Are you looking to buy a rent and sell something? She's like, no, it's way too expensive. And that was like one of my first customer interactions. But slowly but surely, what the show really did for me was it enabled me to open doors. So I was then able to pick up the phone or to send cold emails to people, sellers, buyers, developers, and say, my name's Ryan Serhant. You know, I'm a great real estate agent in New York City. If you don't know, I also star on the hit Bravo TV show, Regardless in New York. And what that did was it gave me a little bit of a hook so that even though no one knew who I was, even though I was 26 years old, and no idea what I was doing, it was like, oh, well, if NBC Universal trusted this guy and thought he was a great real estate agent, then maybe we should at least listen to him. Mm -hmm. And then I would say three years into it is when we started to see a difference. Like three years into it, then people started reaching out slowly but surely about saying, hey, you know, I saw the show. You seem like you know what you're doing. I'd love to talk to you about something. But it took a long time. Something important that you've done all along is you've taken every little opportunity that you've had, small or big, and you've leveraged it to build more opportunities and more success. A lemon tree. I believe in that more than anything. Like I, why go out and start a new business or get a brand new job to try to make more money if I can just take what I already do and already know and just squeeze more out of it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's the same idea of you know a really wealthy person trying to save on taxes to make more money, like I got into the real estate business. Yeah. From the real estate business came Million Dollar Listing New York. From Million Dollar Listing New York came different kinds of sponsorships and endorsement things and social media and that whole business. From all that came sell like Servant, the book. From the book, I then squeezed that and I made an online course. From the course and the book and all that became YouTube and the vlog and uh, teaching real estate agents. From all that came the podcast I'm working on now. And from all that came everything else. So like, I always try to figure out how many different ways can I find other lemons on my big real estate lemon tree. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing because people will often say, oh, you know, well, they had this success because they had this opportunity. You know, like Kylie Jenner is a great example. She's a billionaire because she started off, you know, with a platform. Yeah. But it's all about, we all have opportunities, big or small, and it's about how we leverage them and what we do with them. Yes. That determines 100%. our success and how much it grows. Yeah. I mean, listen, Kylie Jenner had quite the platform, but I think she, she also <laughs> was authentic to her audience. 
and had a very robust fan base who cared about every single thing she said or did. She bumped the trend a little bit. If you remember, she, like back in the day, like the early days of Instagram, like she wasn't like the runway model, you know? She was kind of the quirky younger sister who would dye her hair and do makeup stuff. And like, it was always kind of like, she was almost like the, the black sheep of the family until she wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of being, so it's talking about like big money energy. It's also being true to yourself no matter what and not caring what other people think unless you want something from everybody else. So I'm sure there's days too where she doesn't want to dress up, do lots of makeup and post it, but she's doing it because she knows that that now is her business. And that's mm-hmm. okay. So how do you measure success? Success to me is obviously relative the way it is for everybody. But I measure a successful day or week or month or year based on my ability to achieve goals that I've set for myself. Like, so it's never like, oh, I made this much or oh, I sold that or oh, I did this or oh, I did that. Like, that's all subjective. And what I view as success today is very different from what 26 year old Ryan or 25 year old Ryan in 2010, you know, auditioning for doing or listening thought because my world has changed. Right? But I set goals for my team and for myself now every single week and every month. And if we don't hit those, I don't care how big of a deal we did or how great of a week it was, or I had the goal I set for myself. And it was an unsuccessful month. Mm-hmm. You know? And I hold myself to that. How do you achieve your goals? Working my ass off every day. <laughs> At the end of the day, I remember when I first moved to New York City, like I told you in 2006, when I graduated mm-hmm. college, me and two of my college friends rented a one bedroom and we converted it into a three bedroom. So I took half the living room. One of my roommates took the actual bedroom and another roommate put a wall up in the dining area next to the kitchen. It really, you know, <laughs> it was a weird apartment. It was super tight. It was a, you know, kind of classic first starter apartment in New York City. But my two roommates worked at law firms. So I was the one who showed up in New York with just some savings and no real job. And I was going to try to be an actor. And my other two roommates were paralegals at law firms and were then going to go to law school. And so they had set hours, like crazy hours, complete insanity. And my dad told me, he's like, if you want to be successful, you need to work with your two roommates. You need to wake up before they do. You need to go to bed after they do. Make sure you work harder than somebody who's a paralegal at a corporate law firm. And as an entrepreneur, then you'll be able to do anything you want because most everybody isn't going to wake up on time. You know, everybody isn't going to kind of work as hard as they want. You know? Uh, was your father successful? Yeah. My dad did pretty well. Hmm. So, yeah, because that's fantastic advice. So, you get up at 5 a.m. every day, I read, and hit the gym at 5.30. Yes. Wow. Isn't there days that you just want to take it off and stay in bed? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think, honestly, every single day. You know, it's another thing my dad told me. Like, I remember my dad used to wake up at like 4.45 every day. Wow. Um, and he waked up early and he would travel the world two weeks out of every month. And he ran a very large business. And growing up as a little kid, you know, nothing's relative, right? You just take everything for what it is. And I just sort of thought that that's the way my dad lived. Like, that's his life. That's what he wants to do. That's why he does it all the time. It was only until like 2011, actually. It was right after Hurricane Sandy in New York City. But my parents kind of came back down to make sure I was okay in my apartment. And I remember just complaining about waking up early and working all the time. And this sucks. Oh, man, I wish I could just do nothing. And like, I was just had a bad day. 
And I remember my dad saying, do you think that I wanted to wake up at 4.45 every day when I was working and you were a kid? Do you think I wanted to travel as much as I did? Do you think I, do you think I didn't want to just sleep in and play golf and watch TV and hang out with you guys? Like, what are you, crazy? Mm-hmm. I, I did that because that was the job. Like, that was the work. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to have your own business, or if you want to be wildly successful, your job is to work hard. You have to wake up before everybody else. You go to bed after everybody else, right? You only have as many hours in the day as everybody else does. How are you going to make more out of that time? And that really messed me up. <laughs> like that. Like imagine, like you know, when you're a little kid, and all of a sudden, you yeah, I don't know if you are Christian or Jewish or whatnot, but you know, like we grew up and we celebrated Christmas. I remember distinctly finding out that Santa wasn't real. Like that was a messed up day. Oh, I remember that. Too. I, I can't remember. I was like seven or eight or something. I was like, I don't understand. What do you mean? And it was the same sort of thing. But my dad told me that the way he worked so hard when I was growing up was a choice and not just what he wanted to do. Hmm. That was like finding out Santa Claus to exist. That really freaked me out. I remember seeing in one of your videos that one of the things that keeps you motivated is your mission statement. Mm-hmm. And that every person, no matter what you do, should have one personally. Yes. And I love that. What's your mission statement? Oh man, I gotta pull it up. <laughs> oh, really? Is that big? Yeah, because I wrote it for my team. Where is it? Actually, you know what? I have it right here in front of me. Yes. Are you ready? Should I read the whole yeah. thing? Yeah. All right. Probably it will take me a minute. But I, you know, my team is called the Surrogate Team. So our mission statement is: we take initiative. We do what we say we're going to do. We're accountable. We own it, and we do our job. We create opportunities for others while we think for ourselves. We hunt for problems so we can deliver solutions. We follow up, follow through, and follow back with urgency. We don't complain and we we stay hungry. We know that performance can be learned and behavior is a choice. No work, no opportunity is beneath us. We are relentless, relentlessly positive, relentlessly ready, relentlessly quick. Everything, every interaction, every person matters. Work is our passion, not an ethic. We have empathy, not egos. We are loyal and we are kind. We are patient with people and impatient for results. We believe selling is giving, not taking. We listen to respond, not just to reply. We love to give back because we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And we respect the process, the client, the brand, the team, the energetic spirit. We are honest and we are authentic. We smile, we have fun, we hit our goal. And we yell, ready, set, go. That's our mission statement. I love it. That's when yeah, I wrote it because I was thinking about a couple of years when business really started to pick up for us. And I was like crazy all the time, running all over the place. It's kind of spastic. You know, you can get that way in New York City, especially through the same broker. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just figure out what are the things that are most important to me. For anyone that ever works with me or for anyone that ever comes to my office and, you know, thinks about what it means to work with Ryan or somebody that works for him. What are the most important things? And it was, you know, we take initiative, we're relentless, we have empathy, and we have amazing respect. And then I just sort of dove into it from there. Hmm. I love it. So where can people find more information about you? RyanSirhant.com, SirhantTeam.com, YouTube.com slash RyanSirhant. Check out the blog. We put out a video every single Wednesday. I think it's pretty awesome. My Instagram, RyanSirhant. Anything real estate is certainly a team. Anything me personally, I'm everywhere at Ryan Serhant. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You uh, of course. are a beast in sales and I love it. Thank you so much. Great talking to you.